You're listening to the Crowdfunding Nerds Podcast, a podcast that will help you succeed before, during, and after your crowdfunding event. And now, here is your host, Andrew Lowen. Well, hello, crowdfunding hopefuls. I'm Sean. Andrew's not opening up the episode this time. And in this episode, we continue our discussion with the sales master, Dan Bo. Make sure to check out part one. A link will be in the show notes if you've listened to that already. Get a notepad and pen. Take notes. There's a lot of information in this one. Hope you enjoy it. A little bit ago, I read a book one time that that talked about the crocodile brain. And that's that's the portion of the brain that makes decisions fast. Was it Oren Claff? Yeah, it was. It was. What was the book titled? Oren Claff. It is Pitch Anything. Uh, Pitch but Anything. I'll tell you, I'll tell you what, the book is not as valuable as his expensive course. And he's got a course that he does. I hope he still does it. He's a, he's a brilliant guy. The actual, uh, where you get the decks, the pitch decks, and you get mm-hmm. really the psychology behind it. We can talk about this on this call. I'm, I'm very familiar with, uh, with his work, but I, that is, that is just absolutely huge. Uh, the Oren Claff actual yep. course that he teaches. That's I think awesome. that'd be a good segue to talk about the psychology of, of the sale and what, what's the customer thinking? Let's do it. Yeah. So well, let's talk about some of those things. So we we have the, you know, these shortcuts to selling because the way that consumers make decisions, we don't have time or we don't take the time to often make decisions logically after having thought about it a while, make a rational decision based on our finances and our situation and whatnot. I mean, I have like six boxes of board games that are packed up right now. You know, we just moved. And so I'm unpacking everything in my board games for the most part are still packed up except for a few that, that we really want to play right now. And one of those boxes is entirely encased in shrink wrap. Every one of those board games have never been played before. And yet I'm still buying more games. I have purchased like five games in the last like three weeks. I have a problem. And yet I I'm, I have probably, I don't know, like 30 games that I've, that are still in the shrink wrap that I've never played before. And that just seems to keep growing, but I'm still buying more, you know? And, and so I'm guilty of these shortcuts, just like anyone else. Any rational person would say I have, you know, I could easily go six months without buying a new game and playing new games because I have so many in the shrink wrap. But why do I buy anyway? What, what am I like? Let's talk about the psychology of how people make decisions and the shortcuts to sales. To summarize what you just said, we like to think that we present logical information to a client and then they think about it and then they make a rational decision. And here's the deal is we are overloaded with information. This is the information age and we just cannot analyze all information, think about it and then make decisions on it because we're driving down the road. If we tried to do that, we wouldn't be able to get anywhere. I and mean, we, we we got lights turning red. We have cars pulling out. We have there's just so much that we have to do that uh, the term running on autopilot seems to come to mind, right? You know, we're doing this instinctively. And so what what I've done for the sales course to help teach this is pick out the ones that seem to come up the most in a sales process. Uh, put a name to them and then dive into them deeper. Mm -hmm. And and this is why it's so important. So many times what we're saying 
is logical to go forward, but we're making them feel like not going forward. We're actually speaking to their gut mm-hmm. to not go forward. A good example of this is, is one of them that I, I labeled, everybody does whatever everybody else is doing, right? And, <laughs> yep. and I'm just wondering if you wanted to go into that a little bit. Deeper. Yeah, let's, and, let's do that. I, so there, there were a couple that I was thinking of. One was Shiny Rock. I feel like we sell a lot of stuff with Shiny Rock as a shortcut. Another one is I don't believe what you're saying is true. And then everybody does what everybody else is doing. I'd love to chat about those. Shiny uh, Rock, I think what we're talking about there is just how we simply, simply seem to have one predominant thought, right? And we can all of a sudden take somebody away from one thought to another really look there's a shiny rock yes right and and so um so knowing that people you know have one predominant thought is definitely part of how we all go about making decisions it's 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 very relevant for when we make ads because uh somebody is scrolling their newsfeed on facebook or instagram and they have to stop at our ad and say that looks interesting And I find that the quote unquote shiny rock is a really cool looking art piece, a really great looking, you know, miniature sculpt with plastic that looks awesome or some other thing that just makes them stop, you know, and you're really working for their attention. If you're getting them to look at an ad on the internet, right? I mean, in knowing that they only have one predominant thought, all of a sudden they may skip over that ad. Uh, Do you also call that a hook? where you get them to look at something and then get their attention. Yes. So a lot of the time, you know, we, we get somebody to look and then we need to give them a reason. I I guess the hook for us is the, the thing that stands out about the product more, you know, above everything else. It's like, you know, with deliverance, I, I have this angels versus demons dungeon crawl kind of experience that, uh, or board game. And we, you know, get people's attention by calling it the Christian fantasy dungeon crawl. Those words are kind of, it seems like an oxymoron like that, you know, with the whole satanic panic and everything that it just doesn't seem like those words would go together. Dungeons and dragons are for the devil. <laughs> yeah. <Sorry>. So, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, so that's, that is something that we use a lot in our marketing process. <laughs> I think the hook in, in most of our ads is just simply show it's, it's a board game because we target people with board game interests. So for instance, when we show a video ad, usually the first frame of the video is the components of the board game. And that's usually what we open. And that seems to be the hook that then gets people to watch the rest of the video. It's like, this looks cool. Oftentimes, if it looks cool enough, then it probably is also well thought out with clever gameplay and I would enjoy it. At least it's looking, it's worth looking into further. There is this other shortcut that kind of almost counterbalances the shiny rock, which is, I don't believe what you're saying is true. So they'll look at something and be like, oh, that just got big plastic. That's all it is, a box of plastic with a bunch of junky gameplay and you know it's obviously a shortcut and they're just saying in essence i don't believe that this is going to deliver right and i would love to discuss that a little bit the i don't believe i don't believe you because that's not something that they will tell you right yeah and i think what you're saying is address their thoughts maybe not what they're saying right and so i 
you know, really going into evidence of whatever it is that you're you're saying is is going to be crucial, you know. And I, I remember using an example in the sales course. There was, uh, I think it was a new foot cushion, and it's like, okay, how's this foot cushion different than anybody else's? And there, there's a commercial on this this foot cushion, and they actually got a piece of this foot cushion. And, and made a big piece out of it and wrapped it around somebody's hand. And then they got this big old sledgehammer and just smashed the hand that had this foot cushion around it. And the hand comes out and it's uninjured and it's perfectly okay. And you think, wow, I wouldn't do that with my foot cushion. Like this is different. Now I believe what you're saying. But again, you know, that it gets back to really it, Building trust is a big one, which you, you guys already went through in detail. Having that position of authority, which which you've created, um, that's another shortcut. It's people do what authority tells them to do. We have been taught that ever since we were a small child. And if somebody has a Dr. Schmock on with a clipboard, they've shown in all of these studies that the person they're talking to is likely to do what they're telling them to do, even if it is something that they would consider immoral, right? Uh, because it's coming from an authority. And so that's another thing that we can use throughout this is just knowing that authority is going to be more influential. And then probably one of them that has been used by all of us ever since we woke up this morning throughout our day is the one that I, I say everybody does whatever everybody else wants to do. And this is the one that's most misunderstood and most misused might be the way to say it. And it, it kind of looks like this in the sales process, doing this wrong. It's, let's say I am, what's the best example? Life insurance. Love life insurance. Life insurance is just one of those things that has to be sold, right? You know, in most cases, what somebody selling life insurance may say to try to get somebody else to buy life insurance is, you know, only 10% of people get life insurance and something bad could happen to their kids because of it. And hardly ever anybody gets life insurance, but they really should get life insurance because then they would get all of these benefits, right? Well, the moment they say hardly anybody gets life insurance, only 10% of people get life insurance, uh, a minority, the moment they say hardly anybody does it, it tweaks the gut that it's okay not to get life insurance. Hardly anybody does it. And it makes me feel like not getting it, even though the sentence is saying that I should get it. And so we have to be aware of the words that we use. And we have to come up with examples that if it's something we want them to do, use the term everybody, most people. If it's something we don't want to do them to do, we use the words hardly anybody, nobody. You know, they're looking at your sheet and they're choosing something that you know is not going to benefit them. And it's like, yeah, you, you, you don't even have to go into the details if you just phrase it a certain way. Yeah, hardly anybody ever chooses that because of this. And of course, never lie, right? There has to be truth to everything that we say. So at no point am I, am I suggesting use the term everybody or most people if it's not the truth. And, and maybe everybody and most people don't get life insurance, but we can phrase it that everybody wants life insurance because, you know, they don't want something bad 
you know, their kids to miss out, their family to miss out if something bad happens, right? Most people get this life insurance policy because it gives them the most protection. So it, it, when we talk about how people don't make logical decisions, I won't say they don't make logical decisions. How we talk about how they're just not thinking them through and uh, and making decisions based on logic. They're making them based on emotion. It's simple words like this that create the motions of them wanting to go forward. So the goal is here, and we talked about being pushy and proddy earlier. It's not pushy and proddy if they feel like going forward, if they're pulling the information from you instead of you pushing it on them. And it's simply knowing how they make decisions so that we can phrase the sentences that makes them feel like going forward and logically through thinking of going forward as well. It's interesting because most people don't study logic. I think a lot of people don't want to think and they don't, they don't enjoy thinking. Yeah. They want someone to think for them. So I think a lot of, a lot of the sales process mm-hmm. is actually helping them come to a conclusion faster and thinking for them. Well, the more they think, the less they buy. And that's where authority comes in, right? I'm the authority. I've, I've researched this. This is what works. And wording wording is very important too. Like you said, like the insurance thing where you, if you start off saying, you know, oh, 90% of people don't have life insurance. And like you said, they're, it's like, you know, following the other, the other sheep, they're probably not going to get it. In fact, I'd say something, if I had to use that sentence, even though I probably wouldn't, I'd say, you know, 90% of people don't have life insurance. 100% of people die. No, 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 no. <laughs> 100% of people die. To be, I'd say 90% of people don't have life insurance. And personally, it doesn't matter to me whether you get life insurance or not, but let me tell you how it changed my life. And I would just, you know, spin on mm-hmm. that to make it more personal. I think that a lot of sales happen because I simply, in fact, this kind of became the backbone of the way I I thought about sales is I want an experience like that person got all. I I want it to be like that. So if I, if I say, Oh yeah, you know, I just, I got this game and it was so fun and I had a blast and we played it a million times. And my wife who's nursing a five month old infant asked me to play it a bunch of times somebody else who's in a similar situation is going to want to buy that game in order to have the same experience that I had, you know, if they're in a similar situation. Yeah. Right? And you're going to need that trust, which is, you know, why you need testimonials. And if you don't have testimonials, you go get testimonials. And while you're getting testimonials, you use yourself as a testimonial. Yeah. <laughs> it works out. <laughs> I think social proof is such a powerful drug. It is extremely powerful. I think the, the white coat syndrome, and in a way, it just simply rebranded to social proof. Instead of the doctor saying this is right for me, now it's, you know, everybody says this is right. Everybody says this is the way and uh, so on and so forth. Or everybody says this is cool. Everybody says this is great, you know, and uh, the, the authority, you know, in, in our line of work, it's all about influencers. You know, you need influencers that are well known in the community to say this was good. I had a fun time with this thing so that other people can look and say, well, if Tom Vassell of the Dice Tower had a great experience and is excited about it, well, then I'm excited about it. Versus if some nobodies came out of the woodwork and said, hey, I'm uh, selling a thing and it's the best since sliced bread. Uh, It just doesn't work the same, you know? So I think social proof is absolutely huge. And, And like you said it's it's not only that the social proof of everybody else doing it or saying it but it's somebody that they respect 
somebody of authority, other people, other groups that they respect and of authority. That's even going to be more influential. One of the most important things that we were talking about, you know, along with social proof comes the personal experience, you know, with a, with a board game, you've got, you know, you buy the game, you play it. Oftentimes you're going to play it once and then formulate your opinion. And that is if you play it at all, you know, being honest, if the box looks boring or if you hear a thing and that's negative, I mean, I I've had stories where, you know, people have, they heard a thing was bad, but they, they bought it and now they don't want to open it because they heard it was bad from one random person. They play it a year later and they're like, wow, this was really amazing. Why did I listen to that? To those people? I think that the most important element of, of all of this isn't necessarily getting the first sale unless you make $900,000 from a single sale. Then, then, you know, I guess that is you're selling whatever medical equipment or something. Honesty in your marketing. I think uh, Seth Godin says marketing is honesty. And I think, you know, Dan, you've mentioned several times about whatever you say needs to be truthful. You know, we're not talking half truths that, you know, or we want to spin it in a certain way that that makes it something seem true when it's not. We're talking about making statements that are true so that you can have, you know, I mean, you're, you're, you're not selling your soul to, you know, to sell a product, but that you're simply, for me, I, I really like to think of marketing as like helping people find, helping the right people buy the things that they want. You know, it's just in a way, I feel like I'm helping people and some people will disqualify themselves from buying my product because of the way I'm marketing. And I think that that's a good thing that every product isn't meant for everybody, but that you know, every product is meant for somebody. So a part of our job as a marketing agency is to try to cut through the noise and find the right people and give the right people the right message so that they find what it is that you're you're selling and enjoy it and talk about it. In board games, it is so easy to sell somebody something, but then when they get the product, it's garbage. You can't sell that person another thing. In our business, it's all about, number one, people bringing a game to the table with their friends playing the game and then having one or two of their friends saying like, wow, that was so amazing. I'm going to buy that. And the cycle continues. So it's a very social uh, selling, you know, and a demand is created that way. So if the product isn't good, then the demand is not created. And then also as a, a company looking to build your your empire if you will by making another game if you if your first game was bad then your second game you will not be able to sell to to your people because they don't believe that you're going to make a, a something that that was any good if the first experience was bad unless you're really good at hiding the fact it was bad <laughs> well, okay, okay here's here's another another theory on that in fact, there's a book out there. I believe it's called Getting to Yes. It's a sales book that's out there. The premise is, is good, but to me, it's not getting to yes. It's just getting to the answer, at least in the way I look at things. And like Andrew was saying earlier, the idea is not to encourage them to buy the product now. It's to see if they are a fit for what you're going to sell. So what you're doing is you're, you're pretty much sorting. You're, you're, you're running them through your funnel step-by-step, step, showing them the artwork, showing them the, the gameplay, showing them, you know, getting involved and getting, and getting their input. 
um, in the like a Facebook group or something or dis- Discord or, or however you want to communicate with your with your with your uh, community. And then, but the, by by getting them through those filters, and people are going to drop out. It's a funnel. It always happens. You're never going to have the perfect 100% funnel. Well, some of them might, but 99% of us don't. So you're funneling them through, and by the time you get to that time where you're selling the game or doing the Kickstarter or the product, those people are going to buy it, like pretty much no matter what, because they're they've you've you've already vetted them. And the thing is, I think I personally believe if they're that far and you did your job right by vetting them and not maybe not getting as many sales, but you got the ones that are interested. I believe that by the time they get that product, you're going to have literally barely anybody who does not like it because you've actually shown them almost mm-hmm. everything that they're going to get and they've seen it and they know exactly what they're going to have. I think it's a really good point. And I, I want to add something to it. Andrew mentioned, look for the people who want your products and don't worry about the people who don't. There's going to be times where somebody doesn't want our products and they need it and we know they need it and they're resistant and we have to have the skills to move them forward in the process in spite of themselves nobody wants to pay a bunch of money for a sales course everybody thinks they're a great salesperson nobody wants to spend three hours a week in a classroom they got family they'd rather be with and yet i'm selling them out if i don't sell them on the sales course. And there were times where it was confrontational. They sign up for the one evening sales course and they're walking out the door and I would stop them and I'd say, Hey, where are you going? Uh, I don't have enough money. Hold on a minute. Let's step over here. And I'm coming from a place of love and care. I'm not coming from a place of you know, let's try to hard sell them so that I have a commission. I know what's at stake for them. And I know they're battling their own resistance. And this is going to come up in every single industry. And like Andrew said, I, what's my response going to be? So you're not going to sign up for a sales course when you're in sales and you don't have enough money? <laughs> you know, and, and now when I talk about overcoming objections, and this is probably the most important part about overcoming objections, is overcoming objections is not convincing them of anything. It's getting to the truth. And so what they're telling us on objections is not why they're not going forward. And so having a process of dividing and conquer is where you get to the truth. And, and you gotta, you got to understand that you are in the objection overcoming part of the process. You're not in the latter part of the process where they're saying no, and you're saying, oh, okay, bye. And you feel comfortable for not stepping up your game and getting them to do what you know is best for them. And I'll, I'll tell you, some of my best friends, Andrew mentioned it earlier, uh, Peter, were the most reluctant people to sign up for a sales course. And you know, they tried walking out the door. I said, hey, no, you ain't walking out the door. Come here. Right. And and, and they'll tell the stories just like I tell it. And so we, we have to recognize that we can't let our own insecurities. We can't let our own fear. We can't let our own wanting to be everybody's friend stop us from helping people who really need our products and services. And, and this is going to be in, in every single industry, every single product, there's going to be times to where we're just going to need to stop 
and, 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 and put our shoulders down and say, look, I could let you walk out right now. I'd be fine. You know, five years from now, I'm going to be doing riding my bike up and down the Tiber River in Rome. But you, you're going to have this issue that you're dealing with because you didn't address it right now. It'd be easy for me just to walk away and say, okay, and, but I'm just not going to sell you out. You need this. And come from an authentic place of love and care and, and not allow them to make a bad decision. There is going to be those times. And if, if you don't want to ever step up your game to sit there and really go to bat for somebody against their will and drag them to success while they're kicking and screaming, then that person's not going to benefit from knowing you. And I think that's where the authenticity of who we really are comes into play and the years of experience and the years of knowing that there's been other people that said no, and I sold them out. I just said, okay, I'm not going to do that to you. And it's about having that authentic conversation and about really going to the bat for them and not just looking out for your own feelings of not wanting to be pushy, proddy, and saying, no, I'm not going to sell you out. I'm going to step up my game. You got to do this. And this is why. Yeah. You know, actually, that's funny enough. There, there are some occasions where, you know, I had uh, 2,700 backers for deliverance. And then every once in a while, this, this is actually quite relevant. Uh, as, as you were talking, I was thinking about, you know, every once in a while, I'd say at least once a week, I get somebody requesting to cancel, you know, they'll, they'll say, Hey, can I, can I cancel my deliverance order? And, uh, you know, or please cancel my deliverance order. I won't necessarily ask them. I won't send them a private message that that is like, hey, why did you cancel or whatever? But what I'll do is I'll respond. It's like, number one, I give them, I say, I can absolutely accommodate your request. I just have a few questions first. So I give them an affirmative that I can help you. But then I'll say, you know, I just want to let you know, first of all, that Kickstarter and Stripe, you know, the payment processor have taken their pound of flesh. You I'm only able to now refund 90% of your pledge. If you are um, okay with that, I can move forward with the uh, with the cancellation and refund 90% of your pledge amount. But, you know, I'm just, uh, is there anything that I can address? You know, is there anything, is there anything else that I can address? Any, any, um, anything I can help with? Sometimes the answer is no, um, you know, that's totally okay. And, you know, blah, blah, blah. Other times it's like, well, you know, we just had our, like, they'll, they'll, they'll tell me a lot. They'll say, oh, you know, our car just broke down and it was an un, unexpected payment and that kind of thing. And I'm, I'm, you know, really uh, bummed about losing deliverance. Uh, I really wanted to play it and, and that kind of thing. And um, oftentimes if they explain what's going on to me, I'll say, you know, this is kind of a big deal and I don't want to be, you know, standing in the way of like you living life and, 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 uh, surviving, let me refund a hundred percent of your pledge anyway, uh, because I know that you need it and, and, and that kind of thing. And, and I, I know, I know you would, you would get the game if you could. And most of those cases where I have refunded a hundred percent of what it is or offered, they turn around and say, actually, I'm going to hang on to my pledge. Just just a little longer. I'm gonna see if I can make it, and if I can't, then I'll cancel. But 
you know, that you, this is really encouraging and I'm really excited about this. And I love you even more for being accommodating of my situation. And then in other cases where they're like, thank you so much. That means such a big deal to me. It's like a really serious unforeseen expense. They have always come back and bought the game a few months later, which is really cool. Um, You know, in, in the vast majority of cases, it's not like it happens a ton. Sometimes people will say, oh, I don't want to lose 10%. I guess I'll hang on to it. And those people were just like, oh, I found a new shiny that I want to spend money on. How can I free up cash? And you, you're not gonna, you're not gonna recover those people. But you know, in in many cases, I've managed to save people from actually canceling. If I were just to roll over and just not me, I did, wouldn't even have to respond. I could just refund ninety percent, and then they'd get an email confirmation of that. But by kind of engaging with that person, it really has helped me save quite a lot, you know, a lot of revenue that I would have lost otherwise. So it's kind of cool. You know, this whole crocodile brain concept, one that really sticks out to me is something that Sean, you said you addressed a little bit earlier, which is when people think, you know, that, that it's actually a bad thing. Our, a lot of our marketing is designed so that people don't have to think but the right answer is easy. You go to a, a website and ask you to subscribe to the email list. A lot of the time it's like, yes, I would love to receive 10% off my next order. And then the, the no is like, no, I'm an idiot. And I would rather go pound sand and then make a smart decision <laughs> in some, in some way, you know, it, it's like a very negative thing to hit. No. So the, the right answer is yes. And so for, uh, for, for games and actually all e-commerce, you want to give people the, you know, the, the, they hit the ad, they go to the landing page. The landing page has the same picture or the same text as was on the ad. So they know they're at the right place. They don't need to think about it. They scroll down, they see the product. And for me, I think three options, three boxes, you know, you can buy the cheap one, you can buy the expensive one, or you can buy the one right in the middle that everybody buys, right? The standard edition, you know, the essential edition, right? And three boxes, you know, you get 10% of people buying the expensive one, 10% buying the cheap one, and then 80% buying the one right in the middle. And uh, then you can try to upsell them and, and that sort of thing. But the the two places that people actually have to stop and think are number one, when they begin the checkout process on your website. So they add the product to their cart and they look at it and everything like that. Then there's the button that's like begin checkout. It's that's when they have to actually make the commitment to buy this. You know, there it's it's beyond, you know, do, should I or do I like this? It's like, am I willing to pay for it? So you typically see like, you know, for every 10 add to carts, you would see only like three people moving in to actually initiate the checkout process. So you get 70% of people abandoning their shopping cart right there. Then the second time people need to think is when they hit the order complete button. So, you know, if they, if they, they, where they put their credit card information in and they actually press that button that says like charge my card. And I, I find that Anything else, oftentimes, you know, if you want red or blue or, or if you, you know, whatever, if there's a sizing chart for a t-shirt, you need to look at it. Those actually can be detrimental to the sales process, uh, making people think. And I was wondering, Dan, if you had any advice 
for how to limit the thinking required when somebody's buying something. Yeah, you, you just said so much there. Absolutely love it. I think I'll get back to you and your compulsive buying of games that are still in the wrappers and still buying more. I think I'll ask you a question, and it is, uh, in any of those, was there ever a feeling before you bought it of missing out? Like, I got to get this now because of this. You know, maybe the offer is going to go away. Maybe it's going to go expensive. Maybe it's not going to get more expensive. Or was there ever a feeling of missing out that inspired you to to make a decision and and buy it? Yes. (laughs) I think for all of us, probably it. Yes. And so that's, I mean, that's a huge part of when I talk about, look, we're, we're making decisions with these shortcuts. I mean, that's one of the shortcuts. It's the feeling of missing out. And, and you're absolutely right. It's, it's, it's the more they think, um, the more it gets in the way of the sales process. I think it was Abraham Lincoln. It may not have been who said, look, I, I would have written a shorter speech here if I had more time. So how that works in a sales process is less is more. You try If you have a whole paragraph that says something, figure out how to make that in one sentence and chunk it down. Um, if you have one sentence, figure out how you can chunk that down into one word um, using some of these 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 shortcuts that, that we've talked about. Authority, missing out, uh, social proof, right? You talked about pricing earlier. When somebody sees a price, they're going to compare that price to something. And it may be what they paid for it last time. It may be what they saw it advertised for. But they're comparing that price to something. And so let's give them something to compare that price to and have some level of control over that and know that as soon as they see price, they're going to mentally compare it to something. We could come up with examples of that if you like, but I really think it just comes down to shorten everything that you're saying. Do your best to not give them a lot to think about. That's never been a part of any of the processes that I've taken people through in marketing or sales. It's always been, look, I've done the work. I figured out that this is a solution to this. You either want it or you don't. And surprisingly, they've done studies on choices. And when people have a lot of different choices and then they make a decision, they are more likely, likely to be unhappy with that decision, where if they're just given one choice, and they make a decision, they're more likely to actually be happy with that decision. I think that was a Stanford study. Uh, uh, Stanford does all these studies. I don't, I don't even think any of these students at Stanford ever study in a classroom. They're always out messing with people with all these studies and everything, <laughs> psychological and stuff. It's great. But we really can learn you know, about human nature through these. And so I think that's what it really comes down to. It's not just one answer. It's shortening everything we're doing and saying. It's giving them an emotional connection to what it's going to be like once they own the product or service, right? We, we don't have to think about making a decision if we're imagining what it's going to be like to actually have this product or service. And it all just is combined to make an emotional decision really quick without having to think. We design our landing pages so that people can scan them. We had this one uh, Kickstarter project recently about a tabletop find it book that where we helped out. It's kind of like I spy for board games. 
And uh, this talented photographer took a bunch of pictures of board games. And he had this really, I guess, heartfelt text on his landing page, on, on his Kickstarter page. And I just was like, I'm never going to read that as a consumer. I'm never going to read this paragraph. You know, I'm busy. I'm so busy, you know, but I, I'm willing to scan the page and, and like get the main ideas of this section. And then it, as a consumer, if I see something that is interesting, if I see a three word title or a two word title that interests me, I'll scan the first sentence or the first line of a, of a paragraph to kind of see what it's about. It piques my interest. And if that intrigues me, maybe I'll read the whole thing and I'll spend, you know, three hours on this page, you know, but I think that building landing pages on Kickstarter pages and, and other, you know, websites for scanning so that people can just kind of thumb through them real quick and scroll down and not have to read them, but understand the main idea. Uh, that is, or that's, that's kind of the way that we take advantage of that shortcut. Dan, have you ever encountered any failure where I know you spoke about how you go to these meetings and then you hand them a business card the next day you call them. Well, is there any examples you might have of where you're just barking up the wrong tree or you call someone and that you got them at a bad time and it's just grouchy and uh, maybe you could share some of uh, the struggles you've had and then how have you overcome the struggles? So are you asked if like I've ever like failed in the sales process or anything? Sure. Yeah. And then how did you pick yourself back up and keep on going? No, I never have. <laughs> ever. Ever. Isn't that part of the process? You know, and, and I think there's a phrase that the successful person has failed more times than the unsuccessful person has ever even tried. I'm really proud of entering new industries and then over a long period of time of being successful and man, the first part was just um, absolute failure at first. And so let's let's see if I can think of a, a good example of actually communicating with somebody and and just completely screwing it up. Um, now you got to understand one thing to know about me is that um, I'm very very positive. I try to only think about things that I want to happen and and not think about things that I, I don't want to happen, right? For my, my own inspiration and motivation. So I don't really hold on to failures. Somebody once asked me what the, the best attribute of a salesperson is. And I heard a quote from somebody else that I agreed with, and it was a very bad memory, right? <laughs> and so I think the most important thing about failure is when it happens, forget it and move on. I called up Andrew one time, a long, long time ago, and I called him up because I wanted to see if he was making his, his cold calls. He was doing cold calls at the time to sell web services and I was going to catch him. So I called him up. It was probably like three o'clock in the afternoon. I said, hey, you make your cold calls? He says, yes, I dialed a hundred times today. Now you got to understand to dial a hundred times by 3 p.m. is overcoming a lot of failure. Uh, let's see. An example for me is when I got a call for sales training. And so these don't normally happen. Now I had an office downtown that was on Google Maps. I had a website. I had marketing, but there's just not a lot of people picking up the phone and calling a sales training company. And somebody called up and said, hey, I'm thinking about either doing your sales training company or somebody else's. And I knew mother 
company uh, that they're thinking about going through. And, and this person said, look, how do I decide? And after this conversation, the person said, thank you for helping me decide and then clicked. And I never heard from that person again. <laughs> right. And so I felt like such a failure. Here I am, the sales trainer, and yet I couldn't close an up call. And so something like that, it, you know, it's 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 going to happen. And I, and I bet by the end of this podcast, I'll think of a little more detailed example of, look, I said this and it was absolutely the wrong thing. Like Andrew had a good example of saying, your website sucks. And the person responds, my son built that, right? Um, <laughs> I did not make that sale. Yeah, but then I got a referral out of it. So yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's true. Hey, who was it? Who was it that referred you? Who was it that, that you I, called? Do you still have that person in the database? I could probably find them, but uh, I don't remember their name. They They were from the Carlsbad Chamber of Commerce at the time. They... Uh, they were listed in that database. They ran a business with their dad and I, I can't remember. So it's, it's just been 12 years or 11 years I, or something. I would love to know who that was. I'd love uh, to see his great. website. <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. It was, it's probably good looking. You just called it bad. I think I, a name just came to my head. This is weird, but Carlo Desierto. Do you know wow. who that person is? I know exactly who that was. That person used to head up networking events. Were they like a former Navy or anything like that? Yeah, he was former military. That's yeah. the guy that chewed me out. <laughs> yeah. And he would have recommended me like we were really close back then. He was putting on networking events and I was putting on networking events. Uh, you know, we all supported each other in business. And so he definitely, if would have uh, at the first opportunity just completely reamed you and pointed you to my sales course. Yeah. yeah that's funny. Yeah. That is hilarious. I, uh, I don't know why it just suddenly popped into my head, but I spent a long time just not even thinking about it, but it's, it's, uh, that is funny. You know, just thinking about that. Um, I used to manage a casino, Dan, I, 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 you, we've never met, so you don't know about this. And uh, my, th my boss was the director of marketing. And so everyone wanted to talk to the director of marketing because, you know, they wanted to pitch their plan to our director. And our, I also ran the call center. So I ran, I ran a lot of things. I ran the guest services on the, on the casino floor. I was in charge of the entire call center for the casino. I was also in charge for offsite events and et cetera, et cetera. But my call center is trained to deflect those calls because if it's important, they would already have his number. Or, you know, you know and if it's something that they may think is important but they're not sure, they would forward it to a voicemail box that the secretary has, and she would she would you know go through it real quick. But the the technique you call you, you talked about with the Harley Davidson, where you you know you asked for like you know, they were starting to do that at our casino. So like they would call me like, oh, uh, can you connect me to uh, guest services? They'd be they can connect to guest services. One of my team members would be like, oh yeah, what what can I do? And they're they're trained to like. They're pretty much trained to solve any problem. Yeah. Like that's their job. Their job is like, like someone calls is like upset because they can't find the trolley to get to our casino. Our job was to even give them the trolley schedule, get them to the casino. Or if they were like a really good player, we just pick them up. I mean, like their, their job was to, you know, cater. So of course they, they, they would get transferred to my department and the person would be like, Oh, be like, Oh yeah. And then he'd be like, Oh, is, uh, is, is Dan available? I'm trying to get a hold of him. I'm having to get a hold of him. Oh yeah, sure. No problem. Let me, let me transfer you over. So, <laughs> excuse me. Uh, I got this call from from my boss. He's like, I need to talk to you. And so I, I get up there and he's like, how come your part department keeps sending me all these 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 calls? Where are they coming from? 
And that's exactly the technique that you were talking about is they were going, instead of asking the operator directly, they were being transferred to other departments. And then, uh, then they're trying to get through there. In fact, it got so bad that we actually, he changed his, his internal number and the number that he used to use, just, we just made it a voicemail. Um, so that way, cause he, he, I mean, the poor guy was being interrupted, like, you know, every few minutes with phone calls he just couldn't, he's, you know, he's like, this is, you know, I need to get my work done. So, but yeah, that was, yeah. uh, that was a technique that actually really does work. And, uh, we had to find ways to mitigate that, uh, at our casino. Casinos are a great place to see how people make decisions really based on emotional and how they feel, not logically, right? You know, all these casinos, I go to Vegas, I love Vegas, just such a fun place. And you walk into a casino and it is all gold and marble and everything super expensive. The elevators are just immaculate. And you walk in the casino feeling rich right and then you have an environment that you're adapting to of wealth and all of a sudden the whole logic of your pocketbook just goes out the window and um so there's just a lot of examples of that when andrew is talking about some of his bad experiences i think one thing that we can learn from this and that we can do correctly is learn how to change our statements into questions so if we make a statement, it's our idea. If we ask a question and they say something, it's their idea and they can't argue with their own idea. You know, one example of that is earlier in our conversation, I would pivot it to a, 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 the sales course just by asking them, is there one thing in your sales process that you'd like to improve upon? And from start to finish, right? And now they're talking. It's their idea that this needs to be improved. And I think that's almost a skill. And we have to learn how to do that, especially if, if we're communicating if we're communicating uh, back and forth through anything like email, text. Uh, I don't know if you guys do text campaigns, but if we can get them talking, asking them questions, all of a sudden we're moving it forward and it's their idea not ours. So I really think that's a skill that we just need to keep working on. When we have a statement of how great our product and services are, what the benefit of our product and services are, if we can just stop ourselves and say, how do I turn this into a question? We're just going to be more effective communicators. Yeah. I think the, the question, whoever's asking questions has the power in the conversation. You know, if I, if I ask you, you know, Dan, do you like board games? You're not going to respond with, you know, why, yes, I do like peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. You know, what's your favorite food? You're, you're going to be like, maybe, oh yeah, I haven't played board games since I was a kid or whatever. And it's, it's like, I can lead you down a path of, you know, eventually to see if you're qualified for whatever it is that I have to sell. If you've never played a board game before, depending on, you know, what, what it is that I'm doing, you know, maybe, it, that would be the end there. And I would go find a more qualified prospect. You know, I think that a lot of people tend to spend a lot of time with the wrong people. What I found was that it would be like when I started my business, if I were to ask every random person on the street, you know, if I were to strike up a conversation with them, eventually I would ask if they had a business. And if their answer was no, well, then I just wasted all of that time talking to an unqualified prospect, right? And there was no chance I'd ever be able to sell a business website to to somebody that just didn't even have a business, right? And so basically, you know, you want to try to qualify people a little bit so that you're not 
wasting time. You know, for me, when I would make a hundred calls or sometimes I'd make, you know, 50 or a hundred, whatever, it was always to people that I had pre-qualified. So, you know, it, it was, it was like, okay, these people have businesses and that kind of thing. And I think for, for us, you know, we, you know, in, in the board game space or, or video game space, whatever it is, you know, that we, that we deal in all the time, you want to talk to people that like your type of game or product. Right. And, uh, so if somebody doesn't play board games, there are enough people out there that play board games that you should go find one of those people and talk to them, right. Or board game groups and places that people go to play board games. I think that, you know, asking on like, a. a a forum that's all about like a particular brand of car is the wrong place to go fishing for, for people to back your Kickstarter. If you're, if you're making a board game and, and all that, right. You, you want to travel in correct circles and make sure that the people that you're marketing to, they're talking to are qualified and then lead conversations with questions, you know? So I had one, one more question. Um, yeah. and that is in, in this whole, we've been talking, we've been talking about, effective communication, sales, pursuing our passion and pulling other people into that and being on board with it. How important do you think, Andrew, is authenticity? How important do you think honor is in that whole process? It is critical. And when I sell my my games, I treat myself as though I am just a fan that is alongside with my fellow fans celebrating this really cool thing together. And I, in, in a way, you know, I, I, I put myself in the same place as the person that I'm in essence selling to and saying that this is a thing that we can bond over together. And in a way it's a, it's a little bit of a sacrifice to, uh, you know, for, for myself or, and my family and everything to, to turn me you know, the, you know, the brand Andrew Lowen or whatever into somebody that is, that is willing to put myself out there like that, you know? And I, I think that it's important though, for a grassroots company, not to do business just with the company, not to just support, you know, if, if I, if my customers support the game because they really like the game, that's, that's totally fine. But I do think that it adds an extra level of awesomeness and emphasis to, to back my stuff if they like me personally. And I, I do think that if I am able to share things in common, celebrate our product, you know, as, as though I am a fan of it myself, talking about authenticity, it just makes everybody else feel like you're not selling to them, but, but you are just a fellow fan, you know, you're just like them kind of thing. I agree hundred percent. And I think people will sense if you're not being honorable and if you're not being authentic, authentic. And I think that's, that's crucial in people really getting who we are and they'll sense it. If uh, maybe one part of our lives, we're not being honorable and then we're presenting ourselves as honorable uh, to them. And so I think just from a mental perspective, it's important to clean ourselves up and make sure that we are being honorable in, in all areas of our lives and so that we're coming across authentic and they're really getting who we are and that they they trust us and so i think this is just a really important topic to this and, and it's a it's a chance for all of us to kind of check ourselves and say hey you know where are places that i need to be more authentic and so that people say wow that guy just 
came out with that. And uh, if, if, if he's that truthful with that, what else? I can trust what he says, right? <clears throat> My grandfather was a very successful businessman, and he built a reputation throughout his career that his word was his bond. And even though he was dealing with some pretty big contracts, people knew that if Mr. Radford said that he was going to do something, it would happen. So I think that's just an example of building trust with people and having that honor, having that integrity and, and being trustworthy. I think there's, in sales, there's a, there's a characteristic that's very unattractive. And I think it's someone who's greedy for gain. You know, he wants money. You can almost see it in their eye. <laughs> you know, they're talking yeah. to you because they really just don't care about you. They just want to make a sale. And that's a very unattractive quality. And I think that's what really turns people off in sales. And I think that's where you get that kind of used car salesman, kind of sleaze, sleazy salesperson vibe is from people who only care about money and they don't actually care about the person that's standing in front of them. So I think that's key to a whole discussion here. Yeah. And you know, a lot of the time, those people that are, you know, that are clients of ours or maybe brand new board game creators that are serious about going to Kickstarter for the very first time, they just don't know how to talk to people. And so they do come across as, you know, they, they don't want the sale. They just want people to absorb information about their product, but they give you paragraphs and paragraphs of how awesome their thing is. And they're just misguided. They really need to listen to every episode of our podcast, starting probably with this one. <laughs> In addition to really making sure that our word has value, you know, if there's a time that it may not have value, that we may have broken it or, or broken trust, I think it's important just to admit it. Say, hey, guess what? Yeah. You know? mm -hmm. This is what we need to do to, to fix this, to, to, to get it yep. cleaned up as soon as possible. Well, my, my wife is harassing me and uh, I know that Sean is over in the UK. It's bedtime for him. So, <laughs> but yeah, Dan, it was really a pleasure having you on and you really inspired us all, I think, to just think harder about the things that we do each and every day. And the way that we buy stuff is just, I don't think I'm going to look at it the same. Yeah, but you're the man. You're going to help so many people. Every person that listens to this podcast is just going to get... A download of Dan. And where where can they find? Are you doing anything that that you can that you can share that that you know if anybody had a question for you or wanted to be, let's say, uh, do you offer any kind of like an hourly consulting service where you can talk to somebody, you know, talk them through sales process or whatever, um, anything like that? I really don't have anything like that available right now, but you can have me back on the podcast again. And, uh, and we can talk more about this. Hopefully people got value okay. from this. I think one of the most important things to take away from this is that people listening to this, there's a reason they're listening to it. They have goals, they have aspirations, and it's going to take doing the uncomfortable work. It's going to take looking at conversations the way they really are, not the way we like to think they are. And there's going to be resistance there. Some of the things that I've talked about, people experienced resistance while I was talking. They're like, oh, I would never say it that way. I would never do it this way. Yet we have to hold our goals higher than ourselves. And if we do that, we're going to overcome that resistance. We're going to achieve our goals. And it's going to take a lot of hard work. And I, I, I mentioned that because if there's anybody that has followed Andrew at all, he's been really successful in a few different industries. And I really attribute that to one thing. And that is he does the uncomfortable work. And uh, that is just such a, a crucial part of our daily operations. Well, that's all the time we have for this week's episode of Crowdfunding Nerds. For more resources, articles, and to listen to past podcasts, please visit us at crowdfundingnerds.com. 
Thank you all again for listening to this week's episode, and we'll see you next week. Stay nerdy.